This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, ladies and gents. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki italki is a really great way for you to find native English speakers and English teachers online for conversations or English lessons. The cool thing is that you can do the whole thing uh, from the comfort of your own home. Just go on to italki, browse some of the teachers and English speakers they have there, um, and um, you can even like have trial lessons with them at a cheaper price. And then when you eventually find the right person for you, you can then set up a bunch of um, English lessons or conversation sessions with that person. And it's a really good way for you to like really push your spoken English fluency. And that that is really important if you want to use English for any particular purpose. You need to have practiced. You need to really get your speaking up, you know, okay? And the, a really good way of doing that is to speak to native speakers on italki, all right? And because you're a listener to Luke's English Podcast, don't forget you can actually get a uh, 100 italki credits free. Um, just make a purchase on italki and then they will uh, give you a voucher which is worth 100 uh, italki credits, equivalent to about $10 worth of English teaching free. Okay, to get that offer, just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or click one of the italki logos uh, on my website. And then when you've signed up and you've made a purchase, that's when you'll get the 10 free dollars worth of English lessons. Okay, right. So now let's start this new episode of the podcast. And here we go. Here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. In this one, I'm going to go through some of the language that you heard in the last episode of the podcast. So if you listen to episode, I guess it was episode 334, I think so. Anyway, if you listen to the episode uh, with the interview with Craig Wheland, then uh, you can't have avoided noticing that the first 15 minutes or so was spent sort of going through a list of expressions that I wanted you to then notice in the conversation in a sort of, in an attempt to help you to, to sort of facilitate some some language learning. Um, and uh, I promised in that part of the episode that I would do another one straight afterwards in which I actually spent a bit more time focusing on the expressions, explaining them, giving some uh, uh, examples and so on. All right. So this is an assort, this is an additional episode. This is like a, uh, a, a teaching episode, um, a language study episode, let's say, um, a study, a study pack episode in which I'm going to, you know, help you to learn some vocab. So let's see, I have in front of me a list of something like 34, 35 phrases you can see the list. It uh, it was published along with the previous episode, and uh, I've copy pasted it into the uh, show notes for this episode too. So I strongly, I heartily recommend that you go over to the page for this episode in order to have a look at the phrases that I'm teaching to you. You could you could just listen. You could just listen to this and just pick up the language that way. Um, it depends, you know, it depends on how sort of hardcore you are about learning the language using this podcast. You could just listen and have a nice time listening to my voice. Uh, I will attempt to give you some fairly sort of vivid examples. I'll try anyway to kind of bring a bit of color to the to the, the, the episode. Uh, but also, if you really want to learn these phrases, then you could like check out the list you could perhaps come up with your own examples using those phrases and really try and squeeze them into your brain in some way. 
Um, how? How are you going to do that? Well, you just need to try and find some ways of attaching the new language to existing language that you've already got in your head. So that means playing around with the words and phrases, maybe personalizing them, making them some sentences about yourselves, saying those sentences a few times, uh, maybe just looking at the, the kind of the bare bones of the expressions, like the infinitive form, and like, you know, putting it in the past, putting it in the future, talking about using the expressions to talk about things that are true about your life. You know, just the more you work on it, the, the more likely you are to remember it, basically. Okay, so in the last episode, I talked to Craig Wheland, who's an English teacher and a podcaster. And we had a, a general chat about his life and his work and some other bits and pieces. As that was just an unscripted and authentic uh, conversation, naturally, various bits of English kind of popped up during the conversation. So let's now go through some of that stuff. You could go back to the episode, the previous episode, after having listened to this. You could listen to the previous one again, and it might be a good way of reinforcing some of the language that we're going to go through here. Um, There are many ways that you can approach this, basically. Or, as I've already said, you can just kick back and just enjoy listening to another episode of the podcast. So, let's start at the start. That seems like a logical beginning point, don't you think? Um, and uh, so, the, the first phrase I'm going to talk to you about is the expression, it's about time. It's about time. So, um, it's about time I did something. Interestingly, after it's about time, we often, well, we usually have a, a past tense. It's about time we left. It's about time I did something. Okay. And um, so uh, it just means that um, the time has come to do something. All right. So let's say maybe you've been waiting to do something or other people have been waiting for you. And and now that the right moment has come along, we can use the expression, it's about time. For example, it's about time I got you back on the podcast. So, you know, I was just saying to Craig that uh, he'd invited me onto his podcast. And, you know, it's normal in this kind of thing that uh, you return the favor and invite the person onto your podcast as well. So it's be- it had been about a year since I was on Inglés podcast. So I said to him, well, it's, it's about time I invited you on my podcast, I think. Uh, so there you go. It's about time I did something. Now, how would you use that phrase about yourself? You could say, it's about time I really focused on my pronunciation. Or it's about time, uh, it's about time I, you know, called my parents. It's about time I called my mum. Haven't spoken to them for ages. It's about time I did that. Or you might say, it's about time I did the washing up. Maybe you've got loads of washing up in the sink and you haven't done it yet. So maybe you should be doing that. You could listen to this while you're doing that, you know. Um, so lots of lots of possible things. Maybe something you've been putting off for for a while. It's about time I, I think it's about time I really fixed uh, that uh, dodgy table. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe you've got a dodgy table and you need to fix it, and it's been dodgy for ages. We've all got things in our houses that we haven't done that we've been meaning to do for ages. This is your chance not only to do that thing but also just to use the expression, it's about time. Okay, so just think of it. Like For me, what is it? Well, upstairs uh, in the Skypod, I'm not in the Skypod at this point. I'm actually in the, I'm on the sofa. Do you care? I don't know. Um, some of you are thinking, what's the Skypod? I haven't used that phrase for a while. That's the room upstairs where I record this podcast usually. So upstairs in the Skypod, I have like all these piles of paper, all these documents, and I haven't organized them all. So it's really about time I sorted that out. Okay, Uh, here's another phrase that relates to time. And we could say it's been getting on for, it's been getting on for three years I've been doing this. So Craig said that it's been getting on for three years now. The question was, how long have you been doing your podcast? And he said, it's been getting on for about three years. So to be getting on for a certain number of years, it's been getting on for three years, or it's, getting, it's been getting on for about 10 minutes. And it, that's just a way of saying it's almost three years, or it's almost 10 minutes. It's, and it's to be getting on for. So it's always in the continuous form. It's been getting on for about three years now. 
How long have you been doing Luke's English podcast? Ooh, it's been getting on for about seven years now, I think. Okay. How long have you been recording this episode? Let me have a look. Ooh, it's been getting on for about seven minutes now. How long have you been listening to this episode? Oh, this is where you, you check. All right. And I mean, you should know because I just said. Oh, how long have you been listening to this? Oh, it's been getting on for about eight minutes. There you go. It's been getting on for blah, 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 time. All right, let's move on to the third one. So I've done this one before on the podcast, but it's a good one. It's quite a commonly occurring uh, phrase. And the expression is to end up doing something. End up, and it's always followed by an ING form, to end up doing something. The question was, uh, how did you end up being an English teacher? How did you end up becoming an English teacher? If you end up doing something, it means that you just sort of um, you find yourself doing something at the end of a series of other things. It's not necessarily the thing you planned to do. It's just something that happens as a result of you doing other things. So it's like the, the end result of, of something. So, you know, how did you end up being an English teacher? And I've used the phrase end up being an English teacher because most people don't normally set out to become English teachers. I mean, some of you do, I'm sure, but a lot of people just, they fall into English teaching. They just sort of do it because they don't necessarily know what else to do or they do it because they, they're traveling or they've fallen in love with a girl from another country or a boy from another country. Uh, and in order to, you know, get a job and live there, they, they realize that teaching is the way they do it. So many people end up being an English teacher. Uh, but you can end up doing other things too, like if you, I don't know, if you go out shopping. I went shopping, I wanted to buy some shirts. I ended up buying a house and a boat and a car. I ended up borrowing millions of pounds. Um, and obviously I can't pay back the loan. And so as a result, my country, the, the, the banking system in my country has collapsed so I just went out to buy some shirts. I ended up causing a global economic meltdown. Oh, what a terrible day it was. Oh, for example, so to, to end up doing something. All right. Um, for example, we had the expression, uh, Craig talked about one of his friends. He said that he ended up marrying an Israeli girl. Yeah, he ended up marrying an Israeli girl. All right. Uh, so, next one, to take the credit for something. Now, if you take the credit for something, it means that you uh, claim the uh, you claim responsibility for something, usually something good. So, if something good happens and you sort of take the responsibility for that good thing, you can take the credit for it. And in this case, um, I think he was talking about his friend. He taught English to his friend because his friend wanted to talk to these gorgeous Swedish students who turned up. I think he was working in a kibbutz in Israel at the time. And apparently they were working in the garden and these gorgeous Swedish students arrived and they were working in the garden too. And this guy wanted to chat them up naturally. You know, you would, wouldn't you, if you were working in a garden in a kibbutz you know, digging in the soil and planting stuff. And you think this is all very helpful and very good for my character and good for my CV. But God, it'd be good if some Swedish girls turned up. And then lo and behold, the Swedish girls arrive. But you realise that you, you can't speak English. Um, and so Craig was there to help his friend. And he taught him some English, some, you know, uh, vital phrases for trying to seduce Swedish students. And, um, and the guy ended up marrying... Well, no, he did, the, his friend didn't end up marrying one of the Swedish girls, but apparently he had some success with one of the Swedish girls. I don't know what happened. I didn't ask. I should have asked. But apparently the guy had some success with the Swedish girls. And because Craig had, you know, taught the guy English, he naturally took part of the credit for for it. Okay, to take part of the credit for it. Um, let's see. Have you taken credit for something recently? Like, for example, if you're out... You've gone out on a Friday night with your friends and one of your friends spots a girl that he really fancies and um, you kind of, you, you know, you help him out. Maybe you, you're his wingman for the evening. You know what that is? A wingman. If you go out on the pull, if you go out looking to score, 
if you're looking for a girl or if you're a girl, you're looking for a boy or if you're a boy, you're looking for, you know, whatever. If you're going out to try and get romantically involved with someone, sometimes it helps to have a friend who's there to help you. And in English, we say that that friend who's helping you find someone, they are your wingman for the evening. It's a bit like in Top Gun. You know the movie Top Gun with Tom Cruise? You've got Top Gun, the, the main pilot, and then there's the wingman, which is the guy who flies you know, either to your left or to your right, and they're there to sort of support you. So the wingman. Um, so maybe you've gone out on a Friday night uh, and you're uh, the wingman for your friend and, uh, you know, your friend notices some girls and he's a bit too shy. So you go over there, you put in the groundwork and you say, yeah, my friend, he's a little bit shy, but he's a good guy and he's got a really nice job and he's very dependable and he's, I mean, you know, it's it didn't work out with his, his previous girlfriend, but, you know, she's a loser. I mean, this guy is amazing. He's awesome. Um, and uh, And he's so funny. Actually, he really wants to talk to you. And he, he's a bit shy, but he said that he thinks you're really gorgeous. And he really wants to talk. Do you, would you mind if he, we came over and joined you for a little drink? You know, just put the groundwork in. And then when he ends up going home with her that evening, you might take some of the credit for it. Okay. All right, then. Um, let's move on to the, the next phrase. Um, and uh, this one is to see yourself doing something. So if you can imagine yourself doing something. You might use the expression to see yourself doing it. Okay. So uh, again, you're talking, if you're talking about your career, for example, uh, you know, uh, okay. If I use Craig's example, he said, I didn't see myself doing a clerical job. So before Craig became a teacher, he was working for the civil service in an office doing a clerical job. A clerical job is just an office job, basically. And he, he, he just, didn't see himself doing a a clerical job for the rest of his life, which means he couldn't imagine himself doing that forever. He just couldn't see himself doing it forever. All right. So, you know, he decided to leave the job and go and work in a kibbutz and teach guys how to seduce Swedish girls, which clearly was something that worked out for him. Um, And then, you know, that was what made him become an English teacher. So he couldn't see himself doing a clerical job. Okay. Now you might, you know, use that about yourself. I just, you know, I can't see myself becoming a police officer. I just don't think it would suit me. I mean, I'm just not really, I'm, you know, it's, all, it's nice wearing a uniform, but I'm not really interested in that. And I, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't really take much pleasure in telling people what to do and arresting people and fighting crime. I'd rather, to be honest, I'd rather just cut out all of the admin and just fight crime directly as a superhero. I'd rather be Batman than a, than a police officer. That's all I'm saying. If you think about it, in real in the real world, the police, whether we like them or not, they are like the real world superheroes, aren't they? Police, firefighters, ambulance drivers, you know, paramedics, they're the real superheroes. But somehow we they they're not quite as glamorous to us. Why? Just because of the admin. I th- I'm sure that's it. I mean, if superheroes had to do admin, if they had to do paperwork for every job they'd done, I'm sure it would be less appealing to us. Anyway, what was I saying? So I couldn't, I can't really see myself as a as a police officer. To be honest, I can't really see myself as a superhero either. I don't know which superhero I would be. It, obviously, it would be nice to have superpowers, but I mean, what are the chances of that? I mean, I'd I'd have to get involved in some kind of industrial accident with like, um, uh, l- like uh, a radioactive dust or something. You know, that's normally how superheroes are created. They have like an industrial accident. They get exposed to radioactive gamma rays, and next thing you know, superpowers. It's not like they died slowly in a hospital, which is what would happen to most of us. No, apparently, being exposed to radioactive. Uh, rays will just give you something really specific like the ability to look through walls or you know it'll turn you into a a human spider or something no welcome to the real world you'll probably get terrible third degree burns on your skin and you'd be very lucky to survive if you're exposed to you know the sort of things that these superheroes are exposed to so i can't see myself being a superhero either in the real world 
Okay, let's move on to the next example. This is the expression willy-nilly. Now, the phrase is to do something willy-nilly. Okay, you don't just do it willy-nilly. For example, when it comes to choosing episodes of this podcast, you know, I don't just choose willy-nilly. I don't just kind of pick a subject out of the out of the ether. I don't just pick it up out of the air. Uh, I spend time thinking about it, planning it in advance. I don't just do it willy-nilly. Now, if you do something willy-nilly, it means that you do it without really thinking about it, without really planning it very carefully. And Craig said, um, you don't just give away money willy-nilly, okay? Uh, because he, in the civil service, he was responsible for giving money to people who were claiming benefits. You know, benefits, this is money that you might receive from the government if you, for example, don't have a job. So if you don't have a job, the government will help you. They'll give you some benefits. They'll give you welfare payments. But you have to go to the, the, the welfare office and you might meet someone like a young Craig Wheland and say, oh, I need money. I ain't got no job. What can you do for me? Can you give me three million pounds? And Craig would have to say, I'm afraid we can't give you three million pounds. Um, you know, just f- complete this form, complete form B2A complete the details of that form and then we'll have a look at what kind of benefits you are um, you know able to to claim okay but um, I'm going to break it to you we're not going to give you three million pounds all right we don't just give out money willy-nilly here at the dole office for example okay so to do something willy-nilly I don't just pick subjects willy-nilly I don't just do things willy-nilly here on Luke's English podcast there's a very careful process a very careful quality checking uh, process that goes into production of Luke's English podcast. Can't you tell? Um, right, next phrase, to brush shoulders with someone. Now, if you're brushing shoulders with someone, it means you're basically sort of um, meeting people or, or spending time with other people. For example, if, you know, if you've got a friend who's got some big job in Hollywood, maybe he's a producer in Hollywood... Yeah, I'm a producer in Hollywood now. Check me out brushing shoulders with the rich and famous. So if you're brushing shoulders with the rich and famous, you know, it literally means you're sort of probably moving around in a room where the rich, all these rich and famous people are, and you're literally brushing shoulders with them because you're walking around and they're in that room too. You're moving around. Maybe you're, you're, you're spending time with these people. You're close to them. As you move past them, you might you know, t- your t- shoulders might touch each other because you're spending time in close proximity with these people. You're brushing shoulders with them. So I said to Craig, you must have brushed shoulders with Essex's finest, meaning he must have spent time with some of the people from Essex who were claiming benefits. I said Essex's finest. I'm, I was saying that sarcastically. I really meant, you know, some of the some of the kind of average people that you might find in Essex who are out of work and, you know, need to claim benefit. So the phrase Essex's finest or England's finest, for example, means the finest people in England. So you must have brushed shoulders with Essex's finest at the benefits office. Okay. Um, Then we talked about Craig's experiences of teaching when he was first a teacher And he said, as soon as I got over the fear of standing in front of people. um, So the phrase there is to get over something, like to get over the fear of something, which is a a phrasal verb. And if you get over the fear of something, it means that you, you know, you overcome the fear of it. So you can get over a fear of something. For example, if you have a fear of dogs, um, that means that whenever there's a dog nearby, you suddenly get really scared. You might have to go through some therapy in order to get over the, the fear of dogs. You get over a fear of speaking in public, for example. Uh, you can also get over other things. You might get over something that's making you feel really bad. Like, for example, you know, if your pet goldfish dies, you might feel really sad about it. But after a while, you'll get over it. Okay, If your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you, if you've you know been going out with some Swedish student and he or she breaks up with you, you might feel terrible now, but you know don't worry, you'll get over it. Um, and also, you can get over a sickness, which just means to recover from a sickness. It's like oh god, I've got, I've got, uh, I've, 
I've got a cold, but I think I'm starting to get over it now. Or I've picked up a cold and, you know, it's been three, it's been three weeks and I still haven't got over this cold, for example. Okay. Uh, just click, check the clock. How long have I been going in this episode? Ooh, it's been getting on. It's been getting on for about two and a half, uh, twenty-two and a half minutes now. Okay, so um, next one is to, to the expression "with your tail between your legs." So Craig said, "I came back to Spain with my tail between my legs because he had been spending time in France. He got a job in the south of France, and he was going out with some French girl, and she split up with him." She dumped him and he came back to Spain with his tail between his legs. So if you do something with your tail between your legs, it's like you do something, you, you, you're, you're ashamed, uh, you feel embarrassed, you, you feel sort of humbled by something. In the previous episode, I did give a quick example of this and it, it really comes from the idea of a dog. You know when a dog has done something wrong and it, the dog runs away? Maybe the dog's in your garden pissing on your lawn and and you go out into the garden oi get off my lawn for example and the dog might run away with its tail between its legs you know that the dog will sort of run away scared and embarrassed and it literally has its tail between its legs you know you, people can also do things with their tail between their legs for example they in this case go back to spain with your tail between your legs okay right um you can you can imagine that one, can't you? That's quite a visual image, a dog with its tail between its legs. It's like a pathetic uh, vision, isn't it, really? So that might stick in your mind. Um, next phrase is to, to look at things in a different light, to see things in a different light. And that just means that you look at a situation with a slightly different perspective, okay? For example, let's see... Um, when you're young, when you're younger, when, you, when you've just left university and you don't know what to do with your life, everything can seem a bit serious and a bit depressing and a bit, you know, a bit out of control. But then when you get a bit older and, you, you know, a bit wiser, you might see things with a different light. For example, when I left university, I didn't know what to do with myself. I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I've got, a, I've got a crap degree. It hasn't given me any actual training. I don't know what to do with myself. It was a nightmare. And now I look back on that time, I see it with a different I see it in a different light. And I kind of think that was an amazing opportunity. I could have done anything I wanted. Right? So I see things in a different light now. So it just means you see things in a different perspective. Okay? Um so it, it also applies to living in another country. Um, you know, you go through phases when you're living abroad. First of all, um, you know, things might seem strange and different, but then after a while, you see things in a different light. Things that you didn't like before, you might suddenly uh, find appealing as you see them in a different light. Okay. All right. Next phrase, the expression, the grass is always greener on the other side. And this is just an expression that means that uh, the alternative always seems better, you know? The, the the alternative always seems better. In Paris, they say there's less poo on the other side of the street, which is really specific to Paris. Because I don't know if you've been to this city, but it is quite well known for having a lot of dog turds on the on the pavement, which is a great pity. I find it quite disgusting and disappointing that in such a beautiful city, there is an alarming amount of dog crap on the sidewalk, on the pavement. Um and in fact, here they say there's less, well, there's always less dog poo on the other side of the street. In English, we say the grass is always greener on the other side. And you know the way it is. The alternative always seems to be better than what you have. The grass is always greener on the other side. I'm sure that you've got an expression like that in your language too. I wonder what it is. The grass is always greener on the other side in English. Uh, the next one is is just simply the word a cocoon. So Craig was saying that when he first lived in Spain, he lived in an English cocoon for the first year. He spent time with English people. He spoke English all the time. He went to English bars. It was just English, English, English. He wasn't really living in Spanish society properly. He was living within an English cocoon. So you know what that is. A cocoon uh, is, um, well, I, t- I talked before about a butterfly 
before a butterfly becomes a butterfly, it's a it's a caterpillar, which is that little creepy crawly thing. They eat leaves and they crawl around. And then after a certain amount of time, they create a cocoon for themselves and they live inside the cocoon for a while. And then they kind of metamorphosize into a butterfly. The butterfly breaks out of the cocoon and isn't it beautiful? The butterfly is released into the world. So a cocoon, if you live inside a cocoon, it's like you live in like a little sort of separated little world of your own. You're not really part of the outside world. You're just inside this little cocoon. Okay, a cocoon. There you go. Um, Now, erratic and dangerous. Uh, Craig was talking about uh, Spanish drivers Apparently, they're very erratic. Now, if something is erratic, it means that it's sort of unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do next. So they're not consistent. They're erratic. E-R-R-A-T-I-C. Erratic and dangerous. Okay. I wonder how are the drivers where you live? Are they sensible, predictable, reliable? Or are they a bit erratic and a little bit unpredictable? I wonder. Um, Here's another a couple of words that relate to driving. If you have a little accident in your car, you might get a scrape. You might have a scrape. A scrape is just another word for a scratch. Maybe a little bit bigger than a scratch. If, for example, you're parking your car in an IKEA car park and you don't see that there's a, a concrete bollard uh, on the side there and as you turn, as you try to reverse into the parking space, you hear a horrible scraping sound and that is the sound of the the concrete bollard scraping the side of your car and you open the door and you look out and there it is a horrible big scrape on the side of the car and you think to yourself oh my god my wife or husband or mum or dad is going to kill me i've just put a big scrape on the side of the car also there might be a dent in the car as well a dent is another form of damage to a car and it's where like the let's say the 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 metal um of the car is bent in okay if you like if you take a hammer and you whack the side of your car really hard with the hammer it's probably going to create a dent in the car i don't suggest you actually do that to your car i mean you could you could do if you wanted to really see the english in action take a big hammer and with as much strength as you can whack it into the side of the the, the door on the side of your car there you go. That's a dent. Have you done it? You actually have? Shouldn't have done that. Well, at least now you know what a dent is, don't you? Yeah. So we've got a scrape and a dent. Okay. You could scrape your car as well, and then you'd know what a scrape looks like too. But I think you can probably imagine it. Um, okay. Um, so the next one was the expression tailgating. Okay, lots of tailgating goes on. So again, we're talking about Spanish drivers. Lots of tailgating. I've talked about this phrase on the podcast before. Um, and uh, tailgating is when the driver behind you drives right up, right up your bum. You know, they're driving so close behind you. It's really annoying and it's really dangerous. You heard my parents talking about tailgating in a recent episode of this podcast. Obviously, they hate it, particularly my 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 mum can't stand tailgating. It's, it's really annoying. You're driving at a reasonable speed and then some boy racer behind you decides that you're not driving fast enough. So they drive right up on your back bumper and you look in the mirror, all you can see is the front of their car. And it's dangerous because if you have to stop suddenly, they're going to slam into the back of you. They could be killed. That's called tailgating. Apparently in Spain, they do a lot of tailgating. What about you? Do you ever tailgate people? Think about it. It might be a good idea to stop doing that. Um, tailgating. Okay. Next phrase. Uh, to fall short. To fall short. If something falls short, it means it's just not good enough. It's not as good as it should be. And Craig was saying that he thought that, despite the fact that obviously Spain is a wonderful country, in his opinion, sometimes the customer service falls a bit short, meaning that the customer service isn't quite good enough for his, uh, to his mind. Customer service falls a bit short, which is a pity. I could say the same thing about, about Paris. So again, a fantastic place, amazing shopping that you can do here. But honestly, sometimes the customer service falls a bit short. People just aren't quite 
nice enough in a shop. And I'm I'm speaking as someone who's lived in, in Japan. I mean, my God, in Tokyo, the customer service is outstanding. They are brilliant at customer service in Japan. They're they're always care careful to, you know, make sure that you get the absolute best service possible. They're brilliant. So compared to the customer service in, in Japan, certainly the customer service in Europe falls a bit short sometimes. So there you go, the expression to fall short. It's not quite good enough. It's a bit like if you try and throw a ball into a basket and the ball doesn't go far enough, it just falls short. It's just the throw was not good enough. So literally the ball falls short, but other things can fall short too. And we also might say it fell short of my expectations. You know, and you might use that in like a TripAdvisor review. Well, the, um, you know, I th- the, the food was delicious, but the customer service fell short of our expectations, for example. Um, all right. Um, TripAdvisor reviews are quite interesting to read in English. That's quite a good idea for a new episode of Luke's English Podcast. I could go through TripAdvisor reviews for restaurants and hotels and things. We could read some of the best and most interesting reviews that I could find on TripAdvisor. I'm sure there's loads of language that you could learn from that. Um, Next phrase is to be on a mission. And I said, whenever I go back to the UK, I'm always on a mission to go to the pub. I mean, I'm usually on a mission to go to the pub anyway, to be honest. But I'm especially on a mission to go to the pub these days because I miss pubs. So whenever I go back, I'm always on a mission to go to the pub. I'm like, right, come on, let's go to a pub. Let's find a nice pub and let's sit down for a couple of hours and have a drink. Okay, so I'm always on a mission to go to the pub. You could be on a mission to do anything, really. You could be on a mission to meet a Swedish girl. Maybe if you're if you happen to be some guy working on a kibbutz in Israel. You might be on a mission to meet a Swedish girl. That might not be the best place to meet Swedish women. I would imagine Sweden is a good place to start if you're on a mission to meet a Swedish person. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Um, But anyway, for me, I'm always on a mission to go to the pub whenever I go back to England. And what I want to do is sit in a pub, sit there for ages, nursing a pint of Guinness. So there's another phrase, to nurse something. So if you're nursing a pint of Guinness, it means you're just sitting there kind of taking care of a pint of Guinness. Um, Quite a specific one, that. Nursing a pint of Guinness. You can imagine me sitting there with my hand around the the pint, protecting it, and maybe having a little drink from it sometimes, nursing a pint of Guinness. Um, We started talking in the conversation with Craig about uh, sort of common mistakes by Spanish people. And he said that... uh, the word constipated is a false friend. Um, and apparently, I think it was, if you don't know what to say or something like that in Spanish, you'd, you might say that you're constipated. Well, in English, if you're constipated, it means that you, you can't do a poo. Okay, maybe your diet, there's something wrong with your diet or something like that. And it means that, you know, you can't poo. Like you go to the toilet and you just can't, it won't come out. So in English, the phrase is to be constipated. It's like the opposite of having diarrhea, isn't it? Okay, that's lovely. Um, To be constipated. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, Craig asked me about my French and I said to him, well, my French is coming along. Now, if something's coming along, it means it's making some progress, but the progress is a bit slow. Okay, well, my French is coming along. All right. Making fairly slow progress, you could say. Uh-huh. All right. Not too complicated, really, that one. Um, let's see. The expression to rub off on you. It doesn't just magically rub off on you. If something rubs off on you, it means that, um, let's say, okay, if language rubs off on you, um, it could be that, let's say, you've been spending time with a lot of, uh, you've been spending time with a lot of Portuguese people, let's say, and you started to pick up their, their language, or maybe you started to pick up their accent. You could say that the language has just rubbed off on you. So you've had contact with the language, and as a result, because of the contact, you've started to pick up some of the phrases, some of the language, maybe the accent. It's just rubbed off on you, okay? A a literal example would be, imagine you're in a classroom and there on the wall is a blackboard, like a traditional blackboard that they have in, in English, you know, in, in, in classrooms, in school classrooms. There's a blackboard and the blackboard is covered in chalk, you know, like that white 
uh, stuff that we use to write on blackboards. It's very dusty. So maybe you've written on the blackboard and you you stand at the board and you know you're spending time walking around in front of the blackboard and you don't realize that your your coat your your jacket has been making contact with the blackboard and you look at your the arm of your jacket and it's covered in chalk and you go oh god all that chalk's rubbed off on my sleeve. So that's a literal example of something rubbing off on you. But other things can rub off on you too. Like, for example, you know, the accent. If you if you spend lots of time in Liverpool, hanging around with people from Liverpool, scousers, the accent might rub off on you. And then you sort of start speaking like that. You start speaking with a bit of a scouse accent like that. Um, I'm not from Liverpool. I just spent loads of time there and the accent just rubbed off on me. Okay. Um, so... Um, Next phrase, to get by, to get by. Um, so I was talking about how people, you know, that I know learned another language and they, they lived in that country and they maybe got a job that involved that language and they needed to use the language in order to get by in a work environment. So if you to, to get by just basically means to survive, to be able to continue to survive. And we typically use to get by when we're talking about money, like I just don't have enough money to get by or it's difficult to get by on, you know, £100 a week. Um, so maybe you can imagine a, a situation with Craig, a younger version of Craig, when he worked at the Department of Health and Social Security. He was, he was responsible for giving people benefit payments when they didn't have any work. And you know, maybe some Essex, some guy from Essex was like, yeah, I need some money, mate. I do. I'm, I'm, you know, it's difficult to get by on just fifty pound a week. Can't you give me a bit more, like maybe three million pounds a week? And Craig would be like, "You can't. Don't be ridiculous. You don't need three million pounds a week. Sure, it's difficult to get by on fifty pounds a week, but you know, I can't give you three million. Don't be ridiculous. Um, you know, it's you'd more than just get by on three million. You'd live well. So." Sorry, we can't give you three million, Mr. Essex man. We can only give you fifty-five pounds. Fifty-five pounds? I can only get by on fifty-five pounds. Right, you get the idea. Um, next phrase was to pull out the stops. To pull out the stops. Now I have done that on pod uh, on this podcast before, way back in the day. In the early days, I did an episode called Music Idioms, which featured a number of different idioms relating to music, like to blow your own trumpet, to be fit as a fiddle, um, and also to pull out the stops. If you pull out all the stops or you pull out the stops, it means that you really go for it. You kind of um, put loads of effort into something or make loads of effort, try really hard, um, just go all cylinders you know, like um, it comes from playing the organ. And I think that some of those old organs, like a church organ, they have these stops, which are like these valves, I think. And if you pull out all the stops, I think it makes the organ much louder. It makes the sound a lot fuller. So it's like going for the maximum, like doing the maximum that you can do. And I said uh, about my French, I said, if I don't pull out the stops and work on the language, then it's just not going to improve. Meaning if I don't you know, like make a maximum amount of effort, then I'm not going to improve in my French. So, you know, I really want to pull out the stops and work on the language a bit. Okay. Maybe you could say that about yourselves as well. You could say, you know, I've just been coasting recently with my English. You know, I just don't feel it's really improving. So I really want to just pull out all the stops and really get a grip on this. I really try and push my English to, to another level. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so, next one. Um, at this point in the in the interview with Craig, I started to ask him questions that he'd asked me in our interview previously. And so I said to him, right, I'm turning the tables on you. You're going to be in the hot seat this time. So if you turn the tables on someone, it basically means you change the situation so that you do to them what they did to you. Okay, now you might hear that in a football commentary. You know, if it's like Manchester United versus Liverpool and, you know, in the first half of the game, Manchester United scored two goals against Liverpool. And then in the second half of the game, Liverpool come back and they score another goal. 
you know, and they, they start to win the game. And you might hear a football commentator say, and Liverpool here are turning the tables on Manchester United at Old Trafford this afternoon. Uh, having come back from 2-0 down to 2-all here, Liverpool turning the tables on Manchester United this afternoon. You know, it just means like reversing the situation, turning the tables on someone. I suppose you can imagine literally turning a table on someone so that, you know, what they previously had is now yours and what you had is that is theirs. You turn the tables on them. The other expression was to be in the hot seat. If you're in the hot seat, it means you're kind of the one who has to answer the questions, basically. And it, it's a bit like in a, a game show situation. You might have a seat, literally a chair, that people sit in when they answer the questions. And that you might call that the hot seat. It's the hot seat because it's the one with the, you know, that there's pressure on that seat. You know, you feel the heat when you're sitting in that seat. Um, so to be in the hot seat just basically means to be in a position where you have to answer all the questions. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so Craig was Craig talked about how he's obsessed with keeping his workspace tidy. And apparently in his house, the only tidy and organized place is his work desk. And because apparently his his girlfriend is not very tidy and very organised, uh, he has to guard his table with his life. So the expression is to guard something with your life. If you guard something with your life, it just means that you protect it. You just like really carefully protect something. Guard it with your life, for example. Imagine if I gave you a, a USB pen drive with every episode of Luke's English Podcast on it, and it was like the only remaining record of all of the episodes of my podcast because somehow they all got wiped from the internet and my computer exploded one day because it was too awesome it just exploded and the only thing I had was like a single backup of a USB drive and I like give it to you and I'd say you know this is the only remaining record of every episode of Luke's English podcast keep it secret keep it safe guard it with your life you know a bit like in Lord of the Rings you know the ring Gandalf might say that to Frodo. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Guard it with your life. I don't think he actually ever says guard it with your life, but he might have done if it was, you know, a modern story. Guard it with your life. What else would you guard with your life? I don't know. Um, Guard it with your life. I don't know. Just anything that's really important to you, really. Guard it with your life. Um, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a quick look online at the expression guard... Guard it with your life. This is a fairly quick way of finding examples of of, uh, of language on the internet. Uh, I've just typed in guard it with your life into Google in speech marks and I'm going to click the news uh, button. And so that I'm going to get news articles with, that feature, feature that phrase. Um, and we've got 16, what? 16 signs you're in a relationship with red wine. This is from the Metro newspaper, metro.co.uk. 16 signs that you're in a relationship with red wine, which is a jokey article that, you know, you might read if you are worried that you drink too much red wine. Um, now, where is that phrase, guard it with your life in this in this article? Let's have a quick look. So I've now copied guard it with your life from the google search bar and i'm going to do control f search for the phrase guard it with your life just remove the speech marks this time so let's see if we can find that in the document so guard it with your life okay um so 16 signs that you are in a relationship with red wine and one of the signs is that when you go to a party you're the only one who brings a bottle of red wine and then you have to guard it with your life. So you've brought the red wine. No one else brought any red wine. And you decide, oh, my God, I'm going to have to guard this with my life. So you kind of protect it. OK, so there's an example of to guard something with your life. Let's have another one. Um, OK, let's have this one. Uh, how to make coach feel like first class. So this is a um, an article from McAllisterNews.com. And this is a guide on how to, you know, when you're flying and you're flying economy class, 
this article will help you to learn how to make economy class feel like first class. So it's ways of trying to make economy class feel like first class. And it says you need to get a neck pillow. You know those pillows that you have around your neck when you're on on a flight? And it says there are about a zillion varieties of neck pillows out there. Some of them are foam. Some of them uh, have those little beads in that squish around. You just need to find a neck pillow that works for you and guard it with your life. Okay, so there, there you go. A few phrases with the expression guard it with your life there. Um, all right, so next one is just the, the expression to dare to do something. If you dare to do something, it means you, you sort of uh, do something that requires courage. Maybe do something a little bit dangerous. And he said about his girlfriend, if she dares to put a pen on my desk, I shout at her and then we have an argument. Because obviously he's guarding his desk with his life, trying to make sure it doesn't get disorganised. So if she dares to put a pen on my desk, I shout at her and we have an argument. Okay, don't you dare. There's an expression you might say to someone. Don't you dare. Like if someone's, for example, you've just got some ice cream and you've served yourself some ice cream and someone like your friend is looking at the ice cream and they've got a spoon and they're going to steal some of the ice cream and you, and you would say, don't you dare, meaning, you know, don't even think about uh, stealing any of my ice cream. Don't you dare steal my ice cream. Okay. Um, next phrase, a whiff, W-H-I-F-F whiff now a whiff is a um it's a noun and if you have a whiff it's like you have a smell right you have a whiff of something it's like to have a smell of something uh when would you have a whiff of something maybe oh i know a good example you know when you've bought some coffee you just bought some coffee granules and you open up the bag and you have a good whiff of the coffee oh it smells good doesn't it you know, the smell of like freshly ground coffee. Have a whiff of that. Oh, yeah, that smells fresh. That smells good. Um, now, uh, in the episode, Craig said that uh, when he was a kid, he used to collect, uh, what was it? He used to collect petrol caps. You know, cars, when you when you fill a car with petrol, you need to take off the, the, the petrol cap. He used to steal them and collect them when he was a kid and he'd keep them all in a plastic bag and every now and then he'd open the plastic bag and have a whiff and apparently it smelt of petrol and he liked the smell of petrol. Okay, to have a whiff of something. Um, all right, there's an expression. Did you know that word? To have a whiff of something is like to have a smell of something. Okay, well now you do. Um, um, so then we started talking about cats and dogs, of course. And Craig said that he thought he thought that cats are a bit arrogant. He prefers dogs because he thinks cats are arrogant because they tend to look down their nose at you. You know, like cats have got a slightly arrogant attitude. They might a cat might look at you and go, "Look at you, pathetic human. Why don't you get me some food? Either get me some food or just go away because I'm a cat. I'm going to look out the window now because I don't care about the lives of humans." Because I'm a cat and I'm above this. Now let me now let me lick my testicles in plain view of everyone because I'm a cat, okay? I don't care. I look down on everyone. I look down my nose, in fact, at everyone. Um, so to look down your nose at someone is to kind of look at, you know, to consider someone with a disdainful attitude. Look down your nose at them. You're not even fit to lick the fur off my uh, ears. Bit, bit weird, bit of a weird thing for a cat to say. Anyway, if cats could speak, they'd probably speak like that. Get me food, human. Get me food, stroke me, or leave me alone. You've got three options, humans. Uh, so they do tend to look down their nose at you, don't they, cats? Unless they want something, you know? They've got two modes of, of behaviour. It's like either, uh, give me some food, uh, stroke my back, do you love me? Or it's, who are you anyway? I don't care about you. You 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 mean nothing to me. It's one of the two extremes with cats. Either they're looking down their nose at you or they're pouring at you, desperately trying to persuade you to give them something. Yeah. I like cats, actually. I'd rather that. I'd rather have that than some needy little dog who's like, oh, you got to take me for a walk or I'll poo everywhere to show my disgust. Like, 
The thing about a cat is you can just leave a cat alone for a while. It'll look after itself. If you leave a dog alone for a while, it'll ruin, it'll smash up your apartment. It'll have a nervous breakdown. They're so needy. In fact, that's one of the phrases in the list, to be needy. If someone or something is needy, usually a person, it means that they have lots of needs. You know, like you might have a girlfriend or a boyfriend who's a bit needy. And, you know, if your girlfriend is needy, she'd be like, oh, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And, you know, they constantly require your attention. They constantly need you to tell them that you love them. They constantly need you to, you know, uh, uh, massage their ego. Like, don't you, do you think I'm beautiful? Does my bum look big in this? You know, how do I look in this dress? How's my hair today? And you have to say, oh, you look fantastic. Oh, you look wonderful. Mm. Oh, I love you so much. You know, they they might be very needy, uh, meaning that they need a lot. You know, you might get, if you're an English teacher, you might have students who are a bit needy as well. You know, students who require lots of attention and they require lots of, you know, work and, and, and stuff like that. Some students are very needy. Uh, some students tend to be a bit self-sufficient and they're okay. Um, and I was saying that I think dogs are a little bit needy. And the other expression is high maintenance, which is a similar thing. If someone is high maintenance, it means that you have to work quite hard to try and maintain that person. And again, we usually use the expression high maintenance when we're talking about a partner, like a girlfriend or boyfriend. If a guy says that his girlfriend is high maintenance, it means that he has to work really hard to keep her happy. Like he's got to, you know, do special things all the time. He's got to tell her he loves her. He's got to make lots of effort just to maintain a basic level of happiness. She's very high maintenance. Okay. Um, Another expression was to talk someone round. If you're trying to persuade someone of something, you might need to talk them round. It just means to persuade them. Okay. And then the last word in this list is, is the expression fickle. So if someone's fickle, it means that they sort of change a lot. They change their affection or they may change their loyalty. A bit like the way a cat can be fickle. Like one moment, they're all like, oh, I love you. You're my owner. I'm devoted to you. Give me some food. Oh, I love you. You're the best. You're my master. Can I have some milk? Oh, I love you. You know, they might be devoted to you for one moment. And then, you know, you go to work. Next thing you know, you come home. You look in your neighbor's window. There's your cat pouring at your neighbor's leg going, oh, I love you too. Can you give me some milk? They're so fickle. One minute they love you, next minute they love someone else. Constantly changing their loyalties or affections. That's what fickle means. Okay, so that's it. That's the end of this sort of vocab uh, explanation episode, which uh, goes along with the previous episode of this podcast. Um, As I said before, you could now go back and listen to the conversation with Craig. Skip forward about 20 minutes if you want to just jump straight to the ep- uh, to, straight to the conversation. And that will kind of reinforce some of the phrases that you've heard in this one. Okay? Uh, don't forget to leave your comments uh, under the episode uh, on the page uh, on teacherluke.co.uk. You could use it as a chance to practice some of the language that uh, I've just uh, sort of taught you in this episode. Um, and I do suggest that you use the language. It's a really good way of making that language stick. Okay? So don't just expect to listen to episodes of Luke's English Podcast and for the language to just rub off on you. You do need to actively work at acquiring the language yourself in various ways. Okay? Um, just before I end the episode, I'd like to remind you that you can you can do lots of speaking practice with italki. Um, go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk and you can browse English uh, native speakers and English teachers there and if you find someone you like, you can, you know, have um, lessons with that person or conversations with that person. And it's a good chance for you to practice using some of the language that uh, you hear in episodes of Luke's English Podcast. Speaking to native speakers is a really great way of pushing your spoken fluency and really pushing your English uh, to the next level. So why not try it with italki? And if you do buy some some conversation time with a native speaker, then italki will give you $10 worth of uh, free lessons. They'll give you a voucher, which is worth about $10. So make a purchase and then they'll give you uh, a voucher for your next purchase. Okay. And that's if you're a listener to Luke's English podcast. To get that offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or click one of the italki logos on my website. Okay. So that's it. Uh, That's the end of this episode. 
Um, and you know what normally happens at the end of the episode. I kind of ramble on for a couple of minutes. And then finally, I get round to saying goodbye to you. So that's what's going to happen now. All right. So here it is. This is my rambly ending of the episode. Thanks again for listening. Uh, and uh, I'll speak to you very soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.